0: This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores.
1: Hey, this is Sal Palantonio of ESPN, and you're listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Two podcast.
0: Welcome to another edition of the I Test for Two Podcast. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Myra Kaufman. And we're both Hall of Fame voters who are joined each week, as we are today, by our Hall of Fame producer Ian Glendon. But guys, this is no ordinary podcast because we're privileged to have one of the greatest wide receivers in pro football with us. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, greatest wide receivers, Jerry Rice. Uh, Randy Moss? <laughs> Lance Allworth? Nope. It's someone who in 1982 did something no one else has. And that's average and astounding 129 yards receiving per game, which is still a single season NFL record. I'm talking about former saints, but especially chargers star wide receiver, Wes Chandler, one of the greatest athletes in the university of Florida history Ari, you know about that the first NFL receiver to produce over 1000 yards receiving his first 3 years in the pros and a pleasure a real pleasure to cover when I was with the San Diego Union Tribune Wes been a long time thanks so much for joining us
2: My pleasure my friend I certainly uh, appreciate you having me here and good morning to all of you and certainly those down in uh, the swamp
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Well
0: I spoke about that 1982 season it was as you know a strike-shortened season to nine games you played in eight at over a thousand yards in receptions I think you had nine TDs uh probably 10 overall I think because you scored one rushing. Russian I think but anyway if you do the math that would make you the NFL record holder for single season yards with 2,000 yards over 2,000 yards in receptions in a 16-game season what do you remember most about that year Wes
2: what I remember most was uh, it was about it was about the team. It was about uh, the players and the fact that we were opposed uh, and, and opposed to something that we did not see coming, which was a strike. And um, the families of the players, uh, my teammates um, and those around the, the league, uh, what What we going to do? What decisions we were going to make that was going to have an impact on their lives? I mean, after all, uh, the contracts were not what they are today, where you could afford to sit out, and so it put a lot of players at the crossroads. Of course, you had teams who had players who were playing uh, on behalf of the club, yet you know you you had players who thought about going across the picket line. But I think for the Chargers, we were very strong. We were very united. And we, we decided that as a club uh, to the organization, we would stay out, do our best to stay in condition, to stay attuned to uh, our offense and defensive um, game plans, whatever the, the, those were uh, during that time for that season. Uh, and I think the fact that we decided to collectively stay together was probably the, the thing that stood out the most. In terms of on the field when we returned, I think it was because of our commitment that afforded me uh, and my teammates to stay in condition and still be mentally ready for for the season to, to start again.
0: Well, I mentioned sure. that you played with the Saints, and you did, and you were a star with the Saints, but the Chargers acquired you in 1981 to replace JJ, John Jefferson, who was traded away to Green Bay in a contract dispute. I talked to Dan Fouts not long ago, and we were talking about you, and as you know, Dan's one of your greatest admirers. And he told me the story that I've heard told several times by people there, that after your first practice, he went to Charlie Joyner, and Charlie said, what do you think? And they were talking about you. <laughs> and Dan said, he's better, he's better. Do you remember that? you remember that practice?
2: I remember that practice. I remember flying in, of course, coming from New Orleans and adjusting to the time zone. And uh, the first person I met was Ernie Zampezi. The first player I met was Charlie Joyner because he said, you know, they were already in meetings when I arrived. And he said, just walk in through the room and there would be a guy sitting next to the door with a hat on, Sit next to him. And all that you need to know, and will ever know about this offense, he will tell you. So I walk in, it's it's dark. And I said, excuse me, sir. There's the guy in the hat. And he said, No problem. I said, Is anyone sitting there? He said, No, have a seat. And so we're they're going through the practice tape and film and, and game planning. And he's telling me all these things. And I'm saying, My, my lord, here I am, this 26-year-old kid. I just believed in God's gift. It's all I ever had to worry about was just going out and and letting God, you know, allow me to perform. And that was the first time I really thought about becoming a student of the game. When the light was turned on, it was Charlie Joyner. Hmm. And he said, you know, I've seen you play, but what is going to make you different and better is becoming a student of the game understanding what everyone does. And so therefore you don't have to rely on God's gift as much as you have in your past, in your young career, this will carry you to new heights.
1: Wes, I, I, I want to bring something up that, you know, sometimes circumstances West that you have no control over. And here's what I mean. 1980. I know you don't want to think about it. They, they won one game. The, the, the darn Saints won one football game, one in 15. <laughs> and so you guys earned the first pick in the draft. So, Wes, here you are. You're a Saint. You're a young player. With all due respect, Wes, to George Rogers, who was a good running back, really good. Yes. They, they, they could have had Lawrence Taylor. And, Wes, if they draft Lawrence Taylor, I think everything changes and maybe even your career changes and you remain a saint. You ever think about Lawrence Taylor being a teammate on those Saints teams?
2: You know, I thought about the fact that um, we had just drafted uh, also um, uh, a linebacker that that's currently now in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I called him my homeboy, and Ricky Jackson. Yes, young kid out of pit who always complained of, of, about the difference between him and I guess it was
1: Hugh.
2: Green. And so um, I never thought about had they drafted that guy. My heart was in New Orleans. I loved New Orleans, the people there. I can't thank them enough for how they treated me with open arms, my family. Uh, and the organization for the most part. And and it just seemed at that point, it just got turned upside down. Uh, It wasn't a team that was a basement team anymore. It was a team that had a chance to turn the corner and to actually start winning games because that that year we also brought in Ike Harris, uh, my rookie year, uh, Conrad Dobler to beef up the offensive line a little bit. Uh, we had two great running backs in Chuck Muncie and Tony Galbus. Uh We had a great tight end in Henry Charles. Of course, Arch Manning was was playing extremely well, and my joy was playing with his three year old son Peyton Manning because he was bringing <laughs> it to practice every other day. You know? So that was my greatest thrill was uh, just playing on that team because I thought and in the 1978 we were eight and eight, and that was something that the Saint fans believe it or not had reason to believe uh, that they could hang their hat on something. It was a real um, close-knit community in terms of the organization uh, and its fans. And then all of a sudden, you know, here comes 1979, which I think was an, the 88 season, and now here comes 1980. Um, and everything that would be a potential – Turning point, to your point, we draft George Rogers uh, instead of, you know, Lawrence Taylor. Um, And it just seems as if things were not going the right way. We traded Chuck Muncie. And it just seems as if all that we had had the previous year or two that would, in, you know, an organization that had not done great things. Have belief in was going the other way. We, had, we you know, uh, I was on the board, paint uh, scrum drafted by Nolan, and I pay, played for Bum bon Phillips after two years. Now here's Bum bon Phillips and here's George Rogers because think about it. What's the difference between Earl Campbell and George Rogers when you have Bum bon Phillips as your head coach? Yep. yep. It's a running yep. game. So there was no way we were ever going to draft a linebacker. Even though he had great linebackers in Houston, his deal was offensively uh, was offensive was going to be first because Earl Campbell was the uh, mold and do all in terms of how you would build an organization. We needed
1: a running back that was going to fit that mold. Wes, I'm going to ask you about 88. Uh, I, I know you only played four games, so your final season, but you were with the Niners. And, of course, they went on to win it all, Wes. um, So you're playing for Bill Walsh, Wes. uh, And that was his last year in San Francisco. And you're meeting Jerry Rice for the first time. Wes, what was that like in training camp? What did you notice about Jerry Rice? You admired him from afar, and now you're playing with Jerry Rice.
2: His work ethic. Um, And I have tremendous respect for Jerry. Had it then, we knew one another, of course, Uh, both kids from the South um, that felt we had the world approved, a little bit older than Jerry, um, wasn't a a flyer by the clock and by clock, you know, just clock standards. Uh, But on game day, his game, game speed converted to something different. He wasn't running against the clock. He was playing against individuals. And it just this transformation of who he was on game day. I have nothing but the utmost respect for his work ethic in the offseason to prepare him for game day on Sunday. He was a, you know, the Mike Tyson type theory where he said, here's this guy that appeared to be five foot ten, but but when you got in the ring with him, when you stepped in there, it was like playing, you know, bouncing against a giant. And that's who Jerry Rice was. Um, and I had a great deal of appreciation. He was still learning because at that point in time, he had not posted numbers that would come after 1988 when you think about it. So I got to see uh, the, the coming of Jerry Rice at that point in time. And for me in my career, it, was, it had been what it was going to be. There was no need to hang on. And to see what it could be, I thought that I had given everything to this game that had been so great to me, but I had a three-year-old son and his life was passing me by. So when I called for that press conference for retirement, either you cut me or, you know, I walk away from the game under my own control, which my attorney did not like at all. I just felt that I was going to be more at peace uh, making that decision. Even though it was a tough one and a hard one, I was not going to let the organization determine my fate at that point in time in my career.
1: And, Wes, did you have any idea that that would be Walsh's last year in San Fran?
2: Not at all. And when I, when I look at that team, of course, uh, Shifford was the defensive coordinator. Great coach in his own right. Went on to have great success. Mike program was the OC. Um, Ray Rose was a defensive uh, back coach. Denny Green was my position coach. And they all had illustrious, you know, uh, fantastic co- head coaching careers. But for me, I was like the elder Statesman. Myself, Dwayne Ford, and Joe Montana. We were the oldest guys. Keener Turner was a little bit younger. But we were oldest guys, and they used to call me Grandpa. But just the year before, (laughs) two years, you know, a couple years before, you know, I had torched this team. It was my favorite (laughs) team to play in the (laughs) preseason to get ready for because it was like the last preseason game to get yourself ready to launch into a brand new season. But I had tremendous respect for the 49ers. It was they were no strangers to me uh, in terms of their competition. Of course, they acquired a new secondary about that point in time. And that was the first thing I heard, the cover brothers uh, and Tim McCar. And, uh, you know, he would not stop talking. He could not <laughs> stop talking. God bless him, I loved him. And we became close close friends. And uh, it was like the cover brothers. That's all I heard in training camp. And I'm saying, where are the days of Eric Wright and these guys? And here was Tim McCar and Don Griffin who were good good corners. But, you know, for me, it's like I have really nothing to prove in training camp, even though it was a battle. I mean, I was number eight on the death chart when I got there. Oh. They had acquired Doki Williams from the Raiders as well. So here I was, you know, getting ready to prove myself all over again, going into year 11.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: in year 11 here I am uh got to prove that I have that I have the the work all in the, the football savvy to still play this game you know I could have moved and just play slide and hang on for years but that's not who I was
0: we're speaking with wide receiver Wes Chandler on the eye test for two and Wes you're number one on our depth chart so since you mentioned the 49ers I do want to talk to you about that game in 82 because I was talking to Fouts about the Monday night game against Cincinnati. You certainly remember that one. Ten catches, 260 yards, beat the team that had ousted you the year before in the playoffs. That was a big deal, and you routed them. But Dan goes, what about the week before? I talked to him about the week before. He had three touchdowns. It's against the 49ers. And I think the one he mentioned the most, I went back and looked at it. I think it was against Eric Wright, the one in the end zone, where he threw it up and you curled under Wright and it was sort of underthrown, but Wright had great coverage, but you made a improbable (laughs) catch falling to the ground. And Dan said, that was a circus catch. Nobody else makes that catch.
2: That that to me was the easy catch because for me, it was always being able to put yourself in position to make the play as opposed to just reacting. So it wasn't a reaction. It was me setting him, leaning outside, because he had his back turned. And for me to lean outside, knowing that he's going to lean outside with me, and at that moment, you know, it's like a hint fake. I'm hinting that I'm going outside, leaning outside. He's going to lean, and it's easier for me now to just swing around him Because I know I already see the ball. I'm tracking this this deep ball and I know it's going to be inside of him. And the best way for me to do that is not to just immediately go, because that's not going to happen. Eric was a great cornerback during that time. So it was to get him to go with me. And he wasn't a small corner, he was six foot one, uh, 190 pounds. So he wasn't very small, almost six, one and a half, actually. So I leaned outside and he leaned outside and when I felt his pressure and anticipated that it afforded me at the same time to come underneath. And that's, that's what the intent was. And it worked out that way.
0: It did work out. <laughs> it did work out. You guys won that game. It was a shootout. Um, Dan also referenced a hall of fame receiver. We, we were talking about, and you were talking about Jerry Rice earlier, but he referenced a hall of fame receiver played earlier, played with the Browns and the Miami dolphins. That's Paul Warfield. Great receiver. And Dan said, Wes reminded me of Paul Warfield. And I said, in what respect? He said, nobody could cover him. That's why. Nobody could cover him. Did you have that feeling when you stepped down the field that nobody could cover you?
2: I had that feeling um, at that point in time, yes. I had that feeling when I was leaving Florida. Actually, I had that feeling when I got to New Orleans. But <laughs> I knock on wood and I say that with the greatest of respect and humbleness. Let me say that. Um, I think that in your preparation for what you know you're going to be up against the greatest players in the world, um, some of the greatest athletes in the world. When it comes to defensive backs, um, I prepared myself for the physical aspects of it. Having been a running back in high school and partially at Florida, the the hit was no, the contact was not an issue for me. It was being able to be quicker, more nimble uh than they were and um so you know when I look back at your point of reference Paul Warfield was my idol he was playing for the Dolphins I grew up in the state of Florida you know and and so on Sundays that's all we were able to watch there was no uh Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the time uh it was the Miami Dolphins there was no Jacksonville Jaguars And the Dolphins, if you were watching anybody, you were watching Kick, Morris, and Zonka, and Warfield, and Greasy put this ball up, right? And so the gracefulness to change directions is what I really tried to emulate in terms of Paul Warfield himself. Uh, And so I tried to do those things. Actually, when I was doing my workouts, uh, I wanted to give that change of direction while the defender was going one way
0: I anticipated his direction change and I would give him a
2: different step.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because we said, both Dan and I both agreed, you were the smoothest, most graceful receiver we ever saw. And I said, I never saw anyone go in and out of cuts more gracefully or more smoothly than Wes Chandler.
2: Thank you. I really appreciate that.
1: Wes, we talk a lot about Hall of Fame on the show, Clark and I. Uh, I want to ask you a- about. Don Coryell, a little bit, Wes. What was your relationship with him in San Diego? What was special about Coryell? His name keeps coming up as a, as a coaching candidate. Uh, he hasn't gotten in yet, Wes. What can you say about Coryell? Changed my life.
2: Had a major impact on my career. Um. nothing but the greatest respect for the person that he was, the impact that he made on the game changed how defenses saw the passing game. He was an innovator. At that time and during that time, there was only two offenses that most teams marvel at. It was a number system and the West Coast system. One of those guys, with all due respect, is already in the hall. And I think just for the innovation in itself, not going to a Super Bowl is what defined who these two gentlemen were. And by all means, Don Coriel changed the game And when you look back at the success that the San Diego Chargers had and the offenses who emulated later on and won championships because of the number system, uh, be it the Redskins, be it the Dallas Cowboys, okay, a lot of teams started running the number system because it was easier for the players to adapt to because all you had to do was learn the tree that It went from the first receiver to the from the single receiver to the double, and you told both backs what to do. And that is easy as pie, where the West Coast, you had to learn, you know, lines, ropes, cords. You had to learn those things, right? Uh, And it was a system that was a little bit different. It was high, low, and it was rubs. It was everything innovative that you had to adapt to from a defensive perspective. But when it came to the ball getting down the field, it was a number system that changed the game and how the game would be played. Um, And I've seen the Redskins have tremendous success. I've seen their quarterbacks, I've seen their, their core receivers. Because of that, Troy Aikman also in Dallas, Michael Urban in Dallas. And when you look at those, the St. Louis Rams, as well they ran these systems and there are a lot of players who are in the hall and a lot of coaches who got accolades including mike march as well because of this and the very person who who bought this in is not in the hall and i sit here today not about me but about a guy who gave me a chance to play the game at the greatest, at the highest level and have an impact on it because of his innovation. And it was successful for Dan. It was successful for Charlie. It was successful for Kellen. It was successful for James Brooks. It was successful for Chuck Muncie to James. It was successful for Gary Anderson and anyone that was in our offense at that time. And one year was successful for Bobby Duckworth, 25 receptions, over 800 yards. It was successful for Pete Holahan. And it didn't matter because the game, offensively, you only have one ball. And you have to learn how to play the game. For seven straight years, I led the San Diego Chargers in receiving yards and touchdowns. And I'm grateful that my two teammates, receiving teammates, are in the hall and the quarterback. But the man responsible for all of this success is not in the hall. Is it simply because he did not get this team to Super Bowl? Is that what it's really based on or the impact you have on the game my heart bleeds for the fact that this guy deserves that recognition
1: that's a heck of an answer Wes. it's a heck of an answer um and, and i think you're going to help Coriel in that respect west one more for me thanks so much for your time buddy um Wes, you were you a guy that played with respect for your peers, your opponents. I'm going to ask you about two cornerbacks from the AFC, uh, the AFC West, West that I know you respected. Neither of them are in Canton. Neither of them. Albert Lewis of the Chiefs and Lewis Wright of the Broncos. Wes, what were your battles like with those two gentlemen?
2: Well... The, the, they reminded me somewhat of the guy that's in the hall, who I outside of Deion Sanders, because I never had the, the pleasure to play against Dion. I know Deion, uh, and I know the impact that Dion had on the game, uh, is a gentleman by the name of Mike Haines, a good friend of mine. Yeah. Tall, lanky, great speed, change of direction, very disciplined, long arms, Those were the other two that are played against during that time and in an era where when you saw a cornerback at 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", that had great range, great change of direction, good hip uh, control, great hand-eye coordination as well as any receiver. Those two guys, when you went up and you matched up against those two guys, you were in for a long day. Because they could play the game. Albert Lewis, his days in Kansas City, and even when he moved on, was a great corner. By all due respect, and I'm saying that from a receiver's perspective, okay? Um, Louis Wright in Denver, played against him for years, very same thing. Physical, strong, great uh, catch-up speed, good change of direction. Um, and, and you know when you're playing against a great corner, right? Just like good, great corners will tell you when they're playing against a great receiver. I'm telling you that despite these guys not having the I, – I don't know what you would call it, but they deserve it later in life to be in the hall – for whatever reason and for whatever whatever you're looking for, whatever the the measurement is for them. Um, I think that their play in itself speaks for itself. That they too deserve to be, even if it's senior class, to be nominated for the hall. And I try and stay away from the t- from, from, from the topic myself because I hear it a lot. And you know, I'm grateful to have played the game. But when you look at some of these guys, just like these two, and you and including myself, I have numbers better than a lot of guys who are already in the hall. And I can simply say for the fact that hmm, because they played in Super Bowls, right. was that more worthy of them and their success when the numbers don't match? And yards, touchdowns, and receptions. Yet they're in the hall. Are you kidding me? Seriously, is that what is predicated on, or was it predicated on team success? Because certainly the individual success does not match mine. And the same thing for these two guys, Albert Lewis, okay, and Louis Ryan. Again, if you ask me as a player. I would say yes, hands down, because I know how they played the game. I had to play against these individuals year in and year out. And that's why it would be my vote, not based upon team accomplishment or if they had led the league in touchdown. Because, see, again, that's the, the issue that I have. You know, some teams, you won, you, they only have one receiver. So, yes, he's going to get all the balls. He's going to touch a ton of balls. But does that, does that qualify you to be a Hall of Fame caliber player because you lead the league in receptions and you're the only guy catching the ball on that team? But when you look at your overall average, you catch 100 balls and you got a 12-yard average, yeah, you should have 1,200 yards. But it's a 12-yard average. What did you yep. do that anyone else couldn't do? What makes you different? See, I look at it that way. I don't look at, "Mm, this guy has had a thousand catches in his career. Well, yeah, he played 20 years also.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I got you, Wes. Yeah, I'm with you, Wes, on that. And unfortunately, Ira knows we're in that room. A lot of times it does come down to playoffs, Super Bowls. And when you talked about Don and we're both – outspoken supporters of Don and as you know I mean Dan is in that room and he's a very powerful voice. For whatever reason, we can't get past this three and six playoff record and he didn't get to a Super Bowl. And my point is well wait a second. We've got George Allen in the hall of fame. He was what two and seven in the playoffs? He got to one Super Bowl, he lost it. See, see that's him. my that's he, my he, point. And I didn't mean to
2: cut you off Clark but that's my point. What are they gonna say about LeBron James and his 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 record? in the NBA finals.
0: Yeah.
2: How many finals has he gone through? He had gone to nine straight, 10 out yeah. of 11. But yeah. what is he? Four and seven? <laughs>
1: You're going to hold that
2: against
0: him? He's not Hall of Fame caliber? Yeah. Is that <laughs> what we're going to say? It comes down now to Don Correale's postseason? Yeah. And unfortunately, the answer is for some of that room, yes. And and I, 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 I it bothers me to say that, but the answer is yes for some of that room. And as I said, I look at the impact, and that's what we played on last time. The impact that he had on the game continues to this day. Again. It continues to this day. And the, the people that he affected who came beyond him, after him, Ernie Zampisi, you mentioned, and, and then Ernie goes to L.A., and then the, the Cowboys, and then Norv Turner with the Cowboys. I mean, it just – It just continues. People who use that number system. Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs. Well, yeah, Joe Gibbs. I mean, what he did in Washington. And Joe Gibbs said, I wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame without that. Mike March
2: was a junior college coach when he saw it before he went on to the Rams. Okay? I mean, if if we get caught in the comparison of numbers in postseason, how about quarterbacks who are now in the Hall of Fame that may have never won a Super Bowl?
0: Yeah, don't get me started on that. I mean, That's why I don't want to go there.
2: I don't, I don't yep. want to go there um, and, and it's fine. I am as humble and grateful to have played the game, not to be 12th and 13th all time. When I left the game all time, all time when I left the game. But the fact that the impact, when you played the game, you asked the coordinators, how they felt, right? That's right. Ask the coordinators, how they felt and who they had to find out who they had to cover And where that guy was, the impact of the game makes a difference.
0: Yeah. I I always used to say, who do you have to worry about? And they pick out a guy and they say Chandler Winslow. And then he mentioned LT Giants. You got to account for Taylor. You got to do something to account for him. Um, And you're right. I mean, I, I I don't, I, I, I am so frazzled by this. And Ira knows because he's heard me in that room because the impact that Don had the, on the game is everlasting. He changed the game. What more do you need to say? He changed the game and I don't care what is in the postseason, he, he, he changed it. And the Redskins wouldn't be the Redskins without him. And the Cowboys wouldn't be the Cowboys without him. So um, I don't know what's necessary.
2: You know, um, as I said, guys, I'm, I'm just as humbled to have played for the man and grateful to have had the teammates that I had, and um, I'm happy for them. Yeah. But I think the game uh, and the guy who afforded the possibility deserved that opportunity. Yeah.
0: Couldn't agree. I with think more he more. really yeah. does. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, more. we're
2: putting people in the. Uh, uh, you know, I get it. I understand. they are in enough seats. Put enough people in at one time Uh, but at what point do you realize hmm you know I say that I look at that all the time too and I brush it off I've gotten to a point now with all due respect and of respect I see the senior guys I see the Harold Carl Michaels I see the Drew Pearsons and I and I scratch my head and I say okay really (laughs) oh really okay (laughs) really um but that's fine you know, because, again, at the end of the day, I'm more concerned about Don Coriel than I am Wes Chandler because I know what my impact was. And the guys that played against me and the defensive coordinators who stayed up late nights worrying about where I was during that time and in that era, they know. And the players who had to play against me, they know too. You see, it's different when you're on the field and you're having a conversation off the field, understanding the impact. Again, it's like the guy who says he's going to beat Mike Tyson and you're sitting there across from the guy in the interview in the pre-fight and you see the guy that's 5'10", 220 pounds, and then all of a sudden it's fight night and that bell rings. He ain't the same guy because now you got to really fight. It's not conversation anymore. So that's how I feel. (laughs) <laughs> you talk to me now but when the game had to be played and you had to put that corner out there were you going to leave him on an island with Wes Chandler or were you going to have to give him some help a cover up for him and remember we didn't play in an era where it was a lot of cover two right. okay, uh, and zone it was a lot of man coverage yeah yeah and we saw the best of the best. I came in when the air was just changing away from bumping a run, bump and run, completely down the field. And <laughs> a 13th and 12th all time at the end of actually 10 years, don't get me in. Okay, fine. How can you go that far in a 10-year period, be 10th, a 12th and 13th all time? In a 10-year period.
0: And there's no answer. That's the answer. There's no answer. There's God no answer. Is good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. West. They would say that about Florida, right?
1: They would say that baby." <laughs> my, my career at the University of Florida, right?
2: I only caught 92 balls.
0: <laughs> you, you were more I than I'm in the College Football Hall
2: of Fame, and I wonder
0: why. 2015 College Football Hall of Fame, absolutely. Um, Wes, I can't thank enough. You weren't good. You were a great receiver, and you are a great interview. Uh, thanks so much for the time. And really, thanks for what you had to say about Don, Don corio because then R and will both take that into the room. And um, I, I, I'm really hopeful, and I'd say this not just because you're on the other end, but I'm very hopeful that he's going to get in with his coaches category, because they created that for certain individuals like Don. And we said if they ever had a coaches category, he would get in. Well, guess what? They got I, one. I, I, it be I, I
2: pray for that. Every day, every year when I see uh, it's time, I I pray for that because I know what this man did for a lot of lives and a lot of players, not just in San Diego, but abroad, because someone adapted to his system and believed that that system would create great success for individual player play as well as great team play. Don Coriel deserves to be in the
0: football hall. Couldn't agree more, Wes. Wes Chandler, thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. Been way too long. Thank
2: you, Clark. Thank you, Ian, for having me. And go Gators.
0: <laughs> go Gators. Thanks. Wes, really appreciate it. That was fun. I, I remember he was talking about Charlie, talking to Charlie once about guys. As I said, he'd like to see in the hall. And this is one of them. And he's clearly articulate. he was the player rep for the Chargers. He was outspoken then. And he was good. He was effective. And um, and he was just a joy on the field, but he was a joy in the locker room too. And you could see that when he was talking about Don Coryell, very effective spokesman for Don. Very emotional,
1: very, very emotional. emotional,
0: yeah. And I, I tell you what, I'd almost like to play that tape for people within the room so they'd understand the impact. Um, Ira, that's going to do it. You, you have any final thoughts here? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm I'm getting ready for Kina, baby. <laughs> Okay, that's going to do it for this week. But Ira, tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter, please. At iKauffman76, my friend. And then Ian, where can they find you? It is I-G-L-E-N 31. And you can find me at at Clark Judge, T-O-F. And remember, if we don't hear from you there, guaranteed, you will hear from us here where, Ira?
1: On the eye test for two, Mr. You Judge. You are
0: correct, sir. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.